Michelle! I have so many questions right off the bat. So there is a little bit of violence here. Is this show killing people? Like a whole bunch of people went to sleep and never woke up again. So I took the quiz. Oh, I have anxiety and depression. They're pretty bad. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Yes. I'm, I'm really jealous of people who don't have to listen to themselves all the time because I'm a lot. Is it because you're an android? Diamonds, Michelle. Okay, okay. Just feel like, you know what? I'm gonna give the kids something nice. I'm gonna give them the Yule Log. I'm so proud of us. For those of you who are like, my God, Michelle, you are too much. Chill out. It's McDonald's fault. Bad, 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 bad. Something good has to be coming. And welcome, welcome to, to We did it in unison. We can do this. I am Catherine. And I am Michelle. And Angreement is our podcast. And in this podcast, we bring you every fortnight three things. Three of them. A weird thing. A research thing. Nope. Pop culture nope. is second. Oh. <laughs> hubris. Hubris. And a research thing. <laughs> yep. Weird pop culture research. And then we try to tie them all together in a neat little bow to send on its way for your fortnight. But we do have an announcement. Yeah, get ready. Are you ready? Are you listening? Do you have your listening ears on, listeners? So yeah. <laughs> this teacher voice. This is going, we are going as we did last year. It's so cool to say like last year on the podcast. Multiple years it. of podcasts. Keeping, keeping it up. Um, we are going to go on summer break. And like last year, we're going to hang out with each other. Right. Over yeah, we did. Like the, our final episode was like the week before we got to get together. So we are going to go see each other in person. I see and you next, next week. Yes. Next week. And um, which is you all listening to it now. We are together right now. For this. How great. I oh, Michelle. Imagine we're having an amazing time right so this good. moment. Yep. Uh, so while we are gone on our hiatus which is a summer break but it might extend longer than usual but not because we're not coming back it's because we have a brand new project that is agreement adjacent we shall say um that we can't tell you about yet because can't tell you anything about it except that we are both extremely excited probably more excited than anyone else is gonna be but we're gonna get on board <laughs> Oh yeah, I think we're definitely going to be this new project's biggest fans, <laughs> but that's fine. So yeah, we're taking summer break when we come back, which will be in quite a while. It is going to be worth the wait because we are working on something new and exciting that we are excited about. So yes. stay tuned. Watch this space. We have not just faded away. We are we are busy behind the scenes. I promise you, doing some do, stretching our skills. We will say. So, without further ado, let's get into the last agreement before summer break, before new project, and this is episode thirty-four. And 34. Michelle, 
you go first. I go first. Okay. So my weird thing is, have you heard about the minor league baseball team, the Savannah Bananas? No, but now I want to know all about them. And I'm already going to interrupt you because I have to say, do you know what the minor league team in Colorado Springs is for baseball? what's, What's the minor league team in Colorado Springs? It's the Colorado Springs vibes. The vibes. Oh my gosh. They're going to think we cheated on this episode, Catherine. Oh no. We and do you, do you know what the mascot for the vibes is? And what a, is what, what is a vibe? A s'more. I don't know how I feel about that. I know it doesn't seem to fit. It should be like a lava lamp or a hippy dippy thing, but it's a s'more. s'more it is the, instance, um, maybe? the Colorado, the Colorado vibes with the s'more. I'm fascinated by that. Okay. So I learned today about the Savannah bananas. Um, so they are part of, I'm going to read from, cause I am not a baseball person, so I don't fully understand everything that I'm about to tell you, but I trust that the internet is telling me correctly. Um, so the Savannah bananas, so they've been around since 2016 and they sell out all of their games. There's like a multiple thousands long wait list to get into this minor league baseball um, because they do such crazy things. So it's basically like people are calling it like the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball. Um, So they do all kinds of like tricks and dances and um, it's very like kind of circusy. And so when I saw it, I was like, okay, but like the Harlem Globetrotters, like that's, you're going there because it is like a, right. it's not a basketball game, right? Like it is a performance, but these are basketball games, like, or sorry, baseball games. These are baseball games, like the other teams. So they are part the of other The other team is a real team. They're not like in on it. Right. So the Savannah Bananas are a member of the Coastal Plain League, which is 16 teams throughout North and South Carolina, featuring the top college players from around the country. The Coastal Plain League has been in existence for more than 20 years. It's considered one of the top prospect leagues for professional players in the country, along with the Northwoods Leagues and Cape Cod League. And this is where it gets kind of confusing to me. So apparently, if you are a baseball player and you are in high school, you can be recruited into the major leagues directly out of high school. But if you choose to go to college, you cannot go to the major leagues until you are 21. And so these, why is that? That's so weird. Sports make no sense to me. I just, I don't understand the sports. So this is like a place where college players kind of go to keep their Mm. skills sharp and compete against other top players um, and hopefully eventually get recruited so that when they turn 21, they can go into the major leagues. Um, So they are part of that league. They are part of a serious league and um, they, the league where Baseball players who want to become college ed- educated are penalized for that decision. So again, I realize that this is a, you know, not a visual medium and this is not the way this, <laughs> but I'm just going to go ahead and share a few of these with you. And then we can just describe them to, as I'm sure I everybody loves love doing that. Yeah. But here are some, this is them um, practicing their Jack Sparrow runs. Oh, Wow. Oh, wow. So what I'm seeing here is Jack Sparrow, the pirate from Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, has a very funny way of drunkenly running. 
they these baseball players are running the bases like that. Arms akimbo. So there's a lot of fun dances. A lot of like here's a guy on stilts. Is he really play? He's really playing on stilts. And the the other the member of the opposing team just did a little peek between his stilt legs. <laughs> so I just I, it just really amused me that like they're playing with people who are like, but they also seem to be pretty good, right? Like these are you would have to be really good. This is one of my I love it to like to to be funny to mess with the rules to subvert things. You have to be very good to start. And I think this is a great example of that. They must have to be very good baseball players. They're doing dances in unison in the middle of the game. And like their games are selling out. Like you can't get tickets. Like they're, I they're have like- no interest in baseball and I need to go. <laughs> I will wait in line. Waiting to go to this minor league baseball game. Um, and the way that I found it is that my local newspaper ran a story on them today. Uh, it was the, uh, so I, I saw <gasps> the man in the stilts is hitting the baseball in the stilts. How does that even work? <laughs> <laughs> He's up to bat with the stilts. I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> Look, the umpire has to stand on a, is that a chair? <laughs> and so all of this. My actual weird thing is a single picture from the Savannah Banana article in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and it is this one. So, oh, my goodness. I'm going to read you the caption, <laughs> listeners. The caption says... I'm sorry. <laughs> this makes me really happy. The caption says, players salute a baby dressed as a banana as one does before a game. Um, I don't know if I would call this a salute. Not a salute. That is downplaying this image vastly. It is. It is. the So that's the team owner in yellow. He's like, I can't remember his name, but he's like a PT Barnum character. He always wears that yellow uh, tux (laughs) to the games. They have the mascot, which is a banana. Like, so just a person. And then there is a baby dressed as a banana being hoisted into the air by, I'm assuming, one of its parents. And all around it in a circle are the players from the Savannah Bananas in uniform on one knee with their hands raised as if they are praising this banana baby. Yeah, it seems more like a blessing. Yeah. Really. Yeah, like a anointment of some kind, right? Like um, at the start of The Lion King, when all the animals come to see Simba. This has those vibes to me. And so I just was really amusing myself by imagining that this picture and this picture alone gets found by some like archaeological. Yeah, that's what we like Starship Earth. We should put that on board the next Starship Earth. This should be it. We try to understand our cultural touchstones and I, well, obviously bananas were very important to them. <laughs> right. They, they worshipped these. They worshipped this for I got nothing. I can't put that story together. <laughs> these were like the. Oh, they the, found their uh, new king was which baby fit the banana right. costume, right? Like, these these men are all in their formal religious regalia of you know their their numbers are the numbers on the back of their regalia shirt. How many bananas show their, they ate? Right, their hierarchical rank in this religious system. <laughs> That's why the banana is number 30. He's the highest number. The highest banana. Yeah, he's the highest top banana. 
And this, yeah, this is like them anointing their new leader. That's yeah. that's my weird thing. This this image specifically is my weird oh, thing. It's beautiful. I might print this image out and like put it at my work desk just because I need it. Just to make me happy sometimes. Yeah, so you can look over and be like, well, at least we have the banana future. I want to go to, this is like us needing to go to a um, demolition derby. We also need to go to one of these games. Yeah. It's on the list. Okay. So um, that was a really fun, weird thing. So I apologize (laughs) for my weird thing. First off though, I um, do want to make a quick note that my weird thing was going to be something else, but then I just, I kept seeing it and seeing it and seeing it. Um, just all across Twitter, all across my Instagram feed, this was getting reposted and reposted. So I was like, yeah, it's been done. I'll move on, but I'm going to mention it because it just so perfectly encapsulates. Oh, I know. Important to me. Yes. Yes. And there are three, you know, I love animal facts. And when it comes to animal facts, there are three things I need everyone to know all the time, all at once. And I will talk about nonstop. And if you know me, you've probably heard variations of these things dozens of times. One, wombats are amazing. They're one of the best animals in the world. And I've talked about that here. Square poop, um, very, they can kill things with their butts. Two, koalas have chlamydia. They're incontinent because they all have chlamydia. And three is that dolphins are horrific rapists. So warning, I'm going to talk a bit just to introduce you to this about um, sexual acts by animals, but it'll be very quick. So basically the New York times ran an article that was about these rare lake dolphins. Cause it's very hard, like lake dolphins, um, not freshwater dolphins are a much rarer kind of dolphin. And a bunch of explorers had, seen these dolphins and taken pictures of them. And they later realized that two of the dolphins, young male dolphins had a giant um, python that they were like playing with. They were holding a giant python in their mouth. And so the whole article goes into why were they holding a giant python in their mouth? And I will link the article in the show notes, even though it's not my weird thing, because the quotes from it are hilarious. They're like, well, they just brought in the experts and the experts are like, that Python was not having a good time. It's like, was yeah, not a, this was not a fun day. This is not a fun experience for the Python. They're like, well, most pythons in this area can hold their breath underwater for, you know, a minute to five minutes. But from what we observed, the dolphins played with the snake underwater for much longer than that. It was dead. This is a dead snake. And the article tried, tried to sell it that they were playing with it. They're young dolphins playing with a snake. And it just became obvious in reading it that no, these dolphins were having sex with it. They were both having what the best they could come with were that the dolphins were having sex with one another. They found the snake. They said, great, we'll have sex with this snake instead. And that is because dolphins um, are, are a species of animal that that they have sex for non-procreative reasons and they have like very non-consensual sex with inanimate objects, living things, dead things. 
And this article just goes into detail about that, about all the things scientists have observed dolphins having sex with. All in there, it's horrific. Dolphins are awful and they are rapists. And I just want everyone to know that because it's important to me. So can I then, since I had a rejected weird thing, that was yes. also a weird animal fact that I yeah. I feel like is fitting. Like, I feel like it's a nice little, like, this is our last one for a while. Let's we got to dump the, dump the stuff that we've got in the queue so that when we can exactly. come back, it's all fresh. Clear it out. I saw a meme that was a kangaroo in water. Have you seen this? No. So you see this image? <laughs> It's it's okay. So what I'm looking at is a very Loch Ness monster style image, but it's just like the from from the chest up, it's a kangaroo in water, in deep water. It's just staring kind of directly chill, at the staring. It's a haunting image. So this was shared in a Facebook post that said, um, oh yeah, here it's it this is it. Fun Australian fact: this kangaroo is waiting for pursuers to come into the water with him where he will try to drown them. They are extremely good at it. Okay. So I was like, I was like, is this true though? Right. So I went and looked it up and the people who wrote the article were like very in defense of the kangaroo. They're like, look, they're not trying to lure you into the water to drown you. They just know that they can wait you out. And if you happen to get in the water, then yeah, they're probably going to drown you. Like this guy, like he lost three dogs that way before he finally started tying his dogs up. But it's not fair to say that the kangaroo planned it. And I was just it just really amused me that they were like, yeah, sure. They drown things in the water, but we can't say they planned to drown things in the water. Not like premeditated. It sounds like a good lawyer for this uh, kangaroo. Yes. It's not premeditated. <laughs> he was just there. And if a dog comes up, what are you going to do? Like, Self-defense. Right. Because right. <laughs> I did notice um, you pulled up images. There are other images around it. And there were images captioned kangaroo drowns dog in water. It's yeah. Oh, kangaroos. Kangaroos are, they can be so buff and they can be so violent. But yeah, so (laughs) dolphins and kangaroos. My um, actual weird thing, apropos, apropos of nothing, no context involved here. Don't look for any other meaning in what my weird thing might be. I want to talk about two things, my weird thing. And again, apropos of nothing, nothing at all. I want to talk about the Bruce effect. And invasive placentas, weird things I want to talk to you about. Have you heard about either the Bruce effect, invasive placentas? Cool, 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 cool. Um, First off, I read several medical journal articles about these things, and they say it much better than me. So I'm going to just read like, what is invasive placentas? How do we know about it? And this, the newest one on this is, it's now possible to view human placentation in an evolutionary context because advances in molecular phylogenetics provide a reliable scenario for the evolution of mammals. Perhaps the most striking finding is the uniqueness of the human placenta. The human placenta is a very, very, very unique thing, especially from an evolutionary standpoint. The lower primates have non-invasive placentas. Basically, humans have invasive placentas. And we're one of the only mammals that have invasive placentas. Um, 
So even tarsiers and New World monkeys show restricted trophoblast invasion. Moreover, a truly vilest placenta occurs only in old world monkeys and great apes. So humans, old world monkeys, great apes, only ones with truly invasive, invasive placentas. And basically the um, they're learning interestingly enough in gorillas that um, of all the placentas, humans have the most invasive placentas, but lately gorillas and chimpanzees have been found to be getting more and more, their placentas are becoming more invasive. So this study, which I'll link to, shows that such information may reveal the evolutionary roots of this disease of impaired maternal fetal interaction. So Invasive placentas, that sounds bad. It's not a good thing. You don't want anything invading your body. And I went to another article that asks, why has evolution not settled on a single most efficient placental design? So to answer this question, we need to set aside notions of placenta, placenta and maternal fetal relations. Like what is that when there's a fetus and there's a placenta? Because um, the placenta asks, as, what does the placenta do? It acts as an interface for cooperation, but also a battleground for, con for conflict. Like the placenta is this kind of midpoint in a war between fetus and person carrying fetus. So a developing fetus always wants more than whatever is carrying it can give it safely. It, always, it would suck you dry. And so we know from studies, yep, little vampires, we know from the studies of this battle in humans that the placenta sides decisively with the fetus, which is why it's an invasive placenta. The human placenta invades the mother's endometrium and it remodels her arteries to weaken her ability to limit the flow of blood across the placenta membranes. And so then the placenta acting on behalf of the fetus can release hormones that directly affect the mother, especially her blood vessels, raises her blood pressure, preventing her from reducing like the levels of glucose in her blood. This is why it's highly, fairly common with pregnant women, things like preeclampsia, right? Um, diet, like, you know, um, gestational diabetes, exactly. Gestational diabetes. It's because of the invasive placenta. So the mother's body tries to resist this profound invasion and um, yeah, it just affects blood sugar levels, et cetera, et cetera. So most pregnancies, this, this tug of war between carrier and fetus, carrier, <laughs> um, pull in a gestational tug of war and neither one wins, right? Like that's the ideal, that there's no winner in this. And eventually you give birth, but we see and get the symptoms what? recover, <laughs> right? We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, so yeah, all these sorts of pregnancy sickness, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, um, most of these do come from humans being a species that have invasive placentas. What this brings me to is the Bruce effect. And I want to talk about the Bruce effect, which is to say that most animals have non-invasive placentas, and that allows them to terminate their pregnancy at will. It's very rare to have a mammal that cannot just terminate well, its pregnancy at will. We talked about like the, when we did the armadillo facts that the armadillo can like, right. They the can pause eggs. it. 
and then decide when like exactly oh, conditions. I don't know if it's a conscious, like mental decision. Oh, it's right. Now. We but talked like about body, that. Like, Do they know conditions are favorable? You've eaten enough food. You were in a safe enough place. Like you might even say way. that our armadillos have um, freedom of choice over their bodies and whether or not they have children, right? Maybe there's all kinds of reasons for why animals terminate their pregnancies before their full term. Armadillos can put them on pause. And usually it is right that there's not enough resources at the time. The, the fetus isn't going to be viable outside of the womb. Um, sometimes it is pretty horrific where it's known in certain types of baboons that when a dominant there, there are certain types of baboons that, um, the mothers raise their children through, they are not fertile until they are done raising their children. So once a female baboon is pregnant, they cannot get pregnant again for about three years. But if that baby is killed, they can get pregnant again. And so there is kind of a horrific thing amongst baboons where if a new dominant male comes, they'll kill all the young babies so that they can get the women pregnant. But what happens more often than not, that vast slaughter by the alpha male doesn't really happen because scientists have noticed that if a new male comes, basically 80 to 95% of all pregnant baboons will terminate their pregnancy because, and then self-abort because they say, well, that guy's going to kill it anyway. It's not going to be viable. Done. So, um, fun oh, fact so I that wonder what, do they know what triggers it? Cause that almost feels like it would have to be right. Like, more than the armadillos. That's right. like a very social cultural, but, like a them. social knowledge, not just yeah. the, like biological response to, to yeah. conditions around you. Right. Like, because yeah. that's not, it's not like the temperature changes or the food source. Right. Changes. Like it's right. A, you get less food and, yeah. and then that triggers stuff. No, they know that there's a new male and they do it. Um, it's, you know, they kind of take in all the information they have around them and make the best choice for themselves and their bodies and, um, baboons get to do that, which is pretty cool. Um, so other animals, mice, mice do this all the time. Um, it's called, so this thing and what there's lots of animals do this. Orca whales do this, including there was an, an analysis of sharks and rays and orca whales that if they get captured and go into captivity while pregnant, they will self-abort their pregnancy. And scientists do not know why that they really can't figure out why that is. Um, so, and like in a, in some species like the pelagic stingray, that rate of abortion, if they are captured is up to 85%. That's just, it will happen. Um, orcas do this, caribou do this, all kinds of mice and rodents do this. And so basically what this is, is that they are mammals with non-invasive placentas, which is why one of the reasons why this is possible. So then, um, oh, sorry. I'm just want to make, I'm just trying to make sure I understand the non-invasive invasive placenta. So in an invasive placenta, like us and the great apes the the placenta basically privileges the fetus's needs over that of the mother and is right. not it it will hold on to the fetus even if like yeah it okay. will yeah the yeah it will favor 
Exactly. It will do what's best for the fetus. Do, do we know by what mechanisms a non-invasive placenta? I didn't have, this isn't my research thing and I didn't have enough time to thoroughly research it, but part of it is just the, um, the actual like physiognom, phys, physical physiognomic way they are that, um, there's the non-invasive placentas have these series of folds and it just doesn't allow the same direct access to the carrier, whoever's carrying the fetus, which I think is really interesting. So there are a number of reasons. One is just what the placenta, how it is built and structured and how it attaches. Um, but yeah, basically that's it. And overall, this trend, I hate that this article called it a trend of aborting babies, but the fact that all of these... Um, Mammals in the can, sense that it is a pattern, not training, yes, like this pattern. <laughs> yes, this hip cool thing. Um, the pattern of them being able to abort babies in the face of shortages of food being captured, strange males coming around. That's known as the Bruce effect. And it's not a slight against men. It's um, the uh, name of the scientist who discovered it, which is Hilda Margaret so Bruce. Is this what like Todd Aiken was trying to talk about when he made his stupid, like the body has a way of shutting that whole thing down rape comments. Like, I mean, yeah, I wish, I wish Todd Aiken, but guess what? Our bodies, human bodies, we can't do, we don't, we don't have the Bruce effect because we have invasive placentas. I'm just trying to figure out like where, where was like, was he was like reading about caribou? And he was like, yeah, we can do that too. Like, I I really, I really. You know, I think that would be giving him so much credit, <laughs> but yeah, I just, um, again, again, apropos of nothing that's happening in yeah, the world, no. I wanted to talk about all these animals that, um, make the best choice for them and their fetuses and their bodies. And I thought the Bruce have effect, bodily autonomy, what a, it's the Bruce effect kind of. isn't so weird, but yeah, the, the choice of bodily autonomy, so weird, so weird, so strange, so strange. That's my weird thing. Heavy size. I know. I didn't want to. I, I apologize. I was like, do I? Do I know. I well, can't. I, I can't I help it. it. I almost made my pop culture thing the uh, wordle mix up with the, which would have brought us to the same topic. So. Yep. Yep. And that's just, yeah. But, but still was animal facts, which is a tried and true weird thing for me. And it was just interesting to learn about. It really, really was. Um, it's going to seem very much like we conspired ahead of time to put these topics together because we never do. We promise. Okay, let's go on to pop culture. So (laughs) my pop culture thing is really amorphous. I don't know where it's headed, but I feel like between the two of us, we can take it somewhere. I think there's a conversation. I think there's a conversation to be had here. I welcome it. As the one that has brought us malls, question mark? Are they still there? I'm here for it. So I read an article on The Cut, which I now subscribe to because I tried to reread the same article and they wouldn't let me in again. And then I wouldn't even, couldn't even go. I don't do it often, but I couldn't even go in incognito mode because they must've gotten smart enough to keep me from doing it. I was like, fine, I'm going to pay for, so I now- have a subscription to the cut and vulture because they're connected and um 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That might make me shell out because it's, it's it's New York. It's the New York Magazine umbrella of subscriptions. So um, you get like the cut and Vulture and, and New York Magazine and New York Magazine, and it's it's actually really affordable. It was only like $50 you just for named the year. three. Those um, are the three ones I max out every month. So yeah, I should do that. Let me tell you what else they are though, because it's it's more than just that. Um, since this is pop culture and I want to, I want writers to get paid. So if I'm going to talk about it, exactly. I might as well, right? Vulture is the one that always by like the third or fifth of the month, they're like, you're done for the month. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. It is. Yeah. They have a pretty, a pretty, like their threshold is low, right. For where, why won't you show me what else you are? It is New York mag.com, New York magazine, intelligencer, vulture, curbed grub street the strategist and the cut i love grub street and i love the strategist how much is that a month it's 50 dollars for a year which comes out oh, to like yeah. yeah come on i can do that i can do that thank you michelle and done with pop culture night no, <laughs> i read this article in the cut titled losing my ambition by emil niazi um, I shared it on Facebook, so you might have seen my post about it. In particular, there was a quote from it. Uh, that was just no goals, just vibes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. and, it's, and it's all about the this like, um, so here, I'll just read the opening, <laughs> the opening sentence. I have abandoned the notion of ambition to chase the absolute middle of the road, mediocrity. <laughs> And then the, basically that the whole article is about that. It's just like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. Here's, here's a, from the middle of it as a young adult, I had to be ambitious. It was my only chance of escaping poverty. I knew if I wanted security and stability and comfort, comfort, I had to work harder, be smarter and strive in the most active sense. Ambition becomes a funny thing when it's blunted by the structural inequality I faced as a woman of color in a newsroom. It takes on a jagged shape, one that seems designed to maim anyone holding, hoping to grasp it. And basically, she's just sort of saying here that after the pandemic hit, that all that stability and safety disappeared, parenting and work were no longer separate, everything was this, this giant mess, and it just didn't make yeah. sense to maintain that level of ambition or to set those kinds of goals. And um, it just ends with what should feel bleak, but instead feels at least to me kind of hopeful. Like it's, um, I it just, and there's the, let me find where the no goals, just vibes part is. <laughs> yeah. The new dream is simply no goals, just vibes. And, um, so that was published on March 25th, 2022. And when I went to go look for it again, I found another article that had the title No Goals, Just Vibes from Cry Baby Newsletter, which is just a woman who like has a substack about parenting and pop culture titled No Goals, Just Vibes from January 24th. And it was the pandemic has changed my relationship to work. And it opens with, I can't tell you the exact moment it happened. Like most things these days, it was probably a slow, gradual shift rather than an abrupt aha moment. But in any case, over the past year, something has changed. Some days it even feels like even per or some days it feels like even permanently that has eroded my sense of what my life should be and what its relationship to work looks like. It's now simply no goals, just vibes for me. <laughs> and so, but yeah, this is a thing. I see this all the time on various in, in like sub stacks in articles on TikTok, TikTok, TikTok about, yeah, like <laughs> it's like, you are not your work. 
this just go and do the bare minimum what this i yeah i i'm very very interested in it and i really want to get behind it of like right but don't you think it comes from this vast emptying out of any faith in the institutions of power we have built and i'll say so i have built a professional identity and career that i'm really proud of and i'm happy to be a part of but i mean it was certainly a departure from the path that i was supposed to be on as a goal oriented yeah. person right like uh so i think all five of our listeners know me personally so they probably this will come as no surprise but just in case you've stumbled upon this as your first one and you're a new listener welcome, welcome. this is my life um you know like i was a first generation college student who followed all of the rules always to set all of the goals that i could and then achieve them in to whatever extent it required of me, right? Like it didn't matter how much studying or how hard, I mean, I ace calculus and I can't do calculus. Um, like I just, whatever, whatever obstacle was set up to say, this is what you need to do to succeed. I was like, okay, that's what I will do then all the way until you did I yeah. got a PhD and then got a career as a tenured professor. And then it all got pulled out from under me when it was not supposed to be like those, that was not, I like, promises you did great you did all of your part of the deal all of it all of it plus more and the world didn't hold up their end of the bargain that you were promised and it has just been like something that I've had to reckon with over and over and over again I mean like literally in therapy and in like even just driving past the building of the institution where I worked when I was laid off, like has filled me with rage and like having to work through that. Like it has just been such a disappointment to have set goals for so long and to have, I mean, to to have had such a clear path and to have followed the rules so well, even when I didn't like them, like even when I didn't, even when they didn't like speak to me, I was like, okay, this is the bargain that I'm making. This is what we're doing. And so when that got pulled away and it happened to me, I feel like I'm just a little bit ahead of the trend because that happened to me, um, what, like 2017. So then everybody else got that happening to them in 2020. Right. So I just got three years of no goals, just before everybody else. I'm like, yes, welcome. Welcome to the abyss. Come on in. The water's not great. Um, (laughs) Oh, There's, there's a kangaroo in here. You got to watch out for by the way. <laughs> I don't know what those dolphins over there are doing. <laughs> Just stay away. Stay over here. <laughs> um, so then I was like, so I went to go look for the article about from, and I, and I was like, okay, this isn't it. Cause I found the other one. Right. But you're very similar. I mean, I'm not like accusing anybody. I think we're all just in the, in yeah, the guys, right? we all went through this huge pandemic and yeah you're gonna have some of the same ideas filtering out so then i found this article in the cut which is titled a vibe shift is coming will any of us survive it oh my gosh this article freaked people out it freaked out so many people i loved it (laughs) this is by allison p davis i will tell you it did not freak me out because either good i am just so outside of trying to do whatever this author is trying to do that I'm like, good luck, honey. I hope you figure it out. Yeah. Fair play to you. I, yes. I'm just going to like put on my granny like robe and sit on the rocking chair on the porch and watch you youngins. Yeah. Or whatever, right? Like, 
I'm going to go watch a documentary that explains to you what Hot Topic is. Will you dress in Hot Topic clothes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Fine. You play. You play. I'll watch. <laughs> she is talking about how she kind of checked out of, and again, this is, this is not a kind of cultural moment that I don't think I've ever been part of. Like even when I was young and childless and like, I don't think I've, I was, you were too busy game. playing this game exactly. to just get I to where you were busy. getting. I was too busy climbing. You were no vibes. You were no vibes all rules for so long. <laughs> yes. I had no vibes. Now I'm all vibes, but I don't know how to get them. <laughs> <laughs> too many vibes <laughs> in play. So this article is about how like she she sort of checked out of of the cultural requirements because everybody seemed to just be on hold during the pandemic. Right. right? Yeah. But now that it's coming back, she's saying that like, oh, it's about to change. And I don't know if I want to change with it. And I really like how she's framing this as like a conscious choice. Right. So uh, because in my experience, whether I'm cool or not has never been a conscious choice. It was just no. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I just, yeah, I got to do my own thing. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. Um, but she talks about this substack called 8Ball, which is a trend forecasting consultancy founded by Sean Monahan. So there is a trend forecasting consultancy. And apparently he gets paid by pretty big people to tell them what is going to happen so that these companies can try to be on top of these trends. I don't know. I mean, I... Do you think they, they predicted the, the potential of returning of Roe v. Wade and that's why Duolingo and Scrub Daddy got pregnant? <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. Insulted. They're like, it's going to be very hot to just pregnancy. <laughs> oh, it's a dark timeline we're in. Do owls have uh, invasive placentas? I wonder. <laughs> Probably. No, they have eight. I don't know. Never mind. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> no, our ducks used to like roll the eggs away that they didn't want. Like, wouldn't See, we? Yeah. Like, they'd be like, no. Making choices. Making no, choices. Not one. for you. Um. So anyway, she says. It is unnerving because when you really consider it, you can feel people flocking to a new thing. You can see that he's right. Something has shifted. And then she says, not everyone survives a vibe shift. The ones still clinging to authenticity and fairy lights are the ones who crystallized in their hipsterdom while the culture moved on. They quote, bunkered down in Greenpoint and got married or took their wax beards and nautical tattoo sleeves and relocated to Hudson. And by that law, those who survived the shift only to get stuck in say hyper beast woke. Well, they've already <laughs> moved to Los Angeles to houses that have room to display their sneaker collections worth a small fortune. So obviously I think this is a bit tongue in cheek, right? Like I think that like where we all fall on this, this vibes thing is not, I don't, I don't think she is being entirely sincere, but I also don't think it but is. There is the anxiety is real. It's creeping in as real. Yeah. Yeah. And when you said lots of people freaked out about it. So I think that it it's did. her anxiety. I think there's this idea of like, oh, am I going to like, am I going to keep putting in the effort of trying to keep up or am I going to because I feel like I very comfortably have been doing for the vast majority of my life. And like, you all have fun with that. Um, and I just to say, if you're listening, it's not so bad. It's, it's okay. It's nice. You can it's just, nice. You, can, you can tap out. 
It also is very funny to me that what you just read is entirely just the process of aging and settling into a different period of your life. Right. I mean, it's it's, almost like a literal different pace, right? right. Like you, like when you're here, you have to move this fast to stay here. But if you step over here, the time just moves differently. Like you, like you just, you just don't have the energy to do that. Right. Like you don't have the energy to keep up with what particular piece of clothing. Yeah. And the anxiety comes yeah. from, I don't have the energy, but it's like, you don't need it. You don't need it. You're in a different stage. So I guess my pop culture thing is this use of the word vibe in these two different ways, I think. Cause on the one hand I was like, oh yeah, yeah. No goals, just vibes. I'm feeling Yeah, bad. We're embracing this, the like, vibes. Not on one hand vibe. we're <laughs> embracing the vibes. The other way we're scared of vibes. Yeah. I want to embrace vibes and not work. But I don't want to, ch- but I don't want to make the vibes the work by chasing. Yes, it. yes, you can't. Yeah, the vibes can't become the work. That's the opposite. Exactly. Then there's the vibes. Of no goals, just vibes. <laughs> You've made the vibes goals. You've like completely. And that's not what vibes are. No, just ask what those vibes. Colorado, it's a s'more. It's a s'more. It's the Colorado vibes. It's a s'more. <laughs> <laughs> the Colorado vibes. So, okay. So ready for my pop culture? Yes. We have talked, I think more than once on this podcast about how people are sometimes forced to share their trauma in various ways, right? Or put their suffering front and center. Um, It's a big theme in pop culture. We've talked about it all over. And that brings me with that in mind, I want to ask you, have you watched much of um, the new Queer Eye on Netflix? I've seen a couple of episodes. I watched it with my daughter and then I don't know. Well, okay. Yeah. So you're not, that is to say you're not a I, big fan of American Queer Eye. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not, it's fine. Like I've enjoyed what I've seen of it, but I am not a, I'm not up to date on it in any way. I'm not going to offend you maybe. And I apologize for anyone I might offend. I watched, I liked the first season a lot. I like all of the people they have on it. I think they're great. But I know a lot of people who love, love, love that show and will defend it to the death. And it makes them cry every episode. And everyone talks about just how truly moving it is. And it's very heartwarming. And really after the second season, I just stopped watching it. And something about it really bothered me and I couldn't watch it anymore. I didn't care to. And so I wasn't quite getting that love for it. And this week I had some time to watch TV and I noticed that there is a queer eye Germany. And I'm like, well, what's this about? And I am currently trying to improve my German skills. So I'm like, it's good to watch a show in another language. It's a good way to kind of refresh your language skills. And so by the first episode, I found myself crying and like getting a little teary and being like, is this what people who watch American Queer I feel like? Is this the feeling? It was just so nice. It was so nice. It was so nice. And so basically my pop culture is just going to be a recommendation that everyone should go watch Queer Eye Germany. But it has made me think a lot about why did I not respond to Queer Eye America and why do I respond to Queer Eye Germany? And I think the biggest 
part of it is that the further into the seasons of Queer Eye America you go, the more the people who receive the makeovers and the intervention from the Fab Five, they have to perform and demonstrate some deep-seated trauma to be deserving of this life-changing makeover. And so from, from Vulture, in fact, before I ran out of free articles, I think they summed it up well. They were talking about not many people are watching Queer Eye Germany. Why is that? It's better. And so they said that Queer Eye Germany just wants to help people. It's less concerned with making exciting TV. There are no orchestrated surprise arrivals. The people of Queer Eye Germany are tangibly real. And the German Fab Five act as facilitators of improvement rather than architects of a new life. Ooh, and it is like something almost uh, like Aristotelian, like where like if you are, yeah, like transforming versus improving your authentic. I don't. I, I'm yeah, 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 yeah. On the fly, so please, like, I feel, yeah, I feel like formulate. I can go find some actual literature to help support that in a much clearer way. Just a whole article on this. <laughs> yeah, that really hit the nail on the head. In that the the U.S. one seems very focused on trauma and then the Fab Five act as almost a social safety net. And that's been something that has bugged me for a very long time, that when we have television and makeover shows or shows that give away money, that that is becoming a new social safety net in the U.S. for people who have like horrific medical debt or who just various things, right? We were talking about institutions falling apart that these promises that were made that you can have if you pay your taxes, blah, 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 they're not there, right? Like, so, you know, Germany has universal health care for everyone. Univer- Germany has free university. It's free to go to college in Germany and various other social safety nets that the U.S. just doesn't have. And that changes, you know, how that culture is. And so from the very start, I did notice that none of the people that came into their lives had huge trauma. They weren't coming in and totally changing things. Everyone had a pretty nice job and quite a nice house. They were just like maybe a little tired. One of them was a mother of three who also worked a job and her and her husband had just drifted apart raising children. They did not, they, they did not know how to find time for each other. And she kind of felt like a stranger to herself. She couldn't find time to work out and she just let herself go, right? She wasn't prioritizing herself, which I don't think would be exciting enough for if that was it, right? She didn't also have someone die. She didn't also have cancer. She didn't also, it was just that she just needed some sparkle in her life. And so they come in, they, the other thing. They just sparkle, they just sparkle her up. They're not giving her the wardrobe to make her look like everyone else. They, they take her to the store and say, you go pick out what you like. And then I'm going to teach you how to style it. Stuff like that. They take them to a furniture and home goods store and say, you tell me what you like. And then we're going to figure out how to make it work best for you. Like, who are you? We're going to make you your best self. There was an, and then the other things are, um, so one of them was this man, young, young, young man in his early, early 20s or yeah, early 20s. He was like 20, 21, who lived with his parents still. And he was gay, but had not come out 
to his parents. And so he, they talked to him about like, you wear the same gray hoodie every day. And he's like, I just don't want anyone to look at me and know that I'm gay because he didn't know how to tell his parents. Not that he thought they would be, you know, cruel or throw him out. He just didn't know how to tell them. And so because he lived with them and didn't know how to tell them, he couldn't live his authentic life and self. And he couldn't like dress the way he wanted to. He couldn't have his boyfriend over. And it was a whole chicken and the egg thing. And so not only did they find him, they renovated an entire apartment for him, but it was a beautiful moment where they said, okay, here's your new apartment, but it's totally up to you. If you don't want this, you can go live with your parents and that's your choice. And what choice do you want to make? And he did choose the new apartment. It was really nice. But also they did um, all this life coaching. And so finally they talked to him about it and he was ready to come out to his parents. And then it cuts to he's going clothes shopping. And he says, I did it. I came out to my parents because he didn't want to do it on camera. He wanted it was a private moment. Yeah. Could you imagine the American version not oh yeah, no forcing them to do that on camera? Their parents would be mic'd up, the camera would be in their face. Yeah. Right. So I just love that, that he did, they helped him come out, but he didn't have to do it on camera. He got to do it his way. I'm going on and on and just basically describing the whole show, but I'll just stay to watch it. And there are these things um, that they just, it's enough to be a human in this world. And that can be hard. And sometimes you just need people to come in and help you understand how to, how to get your head above water, how to be a better version of you if you just can't see it. And they do that. Perform this like dramatic trauma for everyone. Right. Right. Exactly. It was Vulture did give an example. I hadn't watched this far in the American one, but there was apparently an episode where there was someone who used a wheelchair, was in a wheelchair. And one of the Fab Five forced him to meet he was in it in it because someone shot him and he was paralyzed and they forced him on camera to meet for the first time with the person that did that to him. And like that, exactly. You're cringing. I don't want to watch that. That doesn't move me, but a single father whose son gets an identical makeover with him and says, I love you, dad. My new bedroom is cool. I was tearing up. That's all I need. It's simple. Plus, plus I'm going on really long. I will end it with this. It is truly a queer eye. I think the American one is very much based in being a gay eye. And it's not, it's not eye anymore, is it? It's just, you no, know, it is. It's queer eye. The original one was called like queer eye for the straight guy. And they cut straight guy out because it's all sorts of people they help. And now it's called queer eye. I think the American one is five gay men. They all identify as men. But I did like that the German one is truly queer and they have non-binary people. They have trans people and it's just a whole fun thing. Um, And they're more stylish, I think. And I like hearing German spoken. So that's my endorsement for why television shouldn't be a social safety net and you don't need trauma to be emotionally manipulated by television. to research so my research thing um is gonna be a little bit windy imagine that 
Um, what? It starts. It starts groundbreaking. This book, which I think I texted to you and said you need to get this and read it. Yes, Undrowned. I'm very excited about this. It, it is Undrowned: Black Feminist Lessons from Marine Mammals by Alexis Pauline Gums, and this is Adrian Marie Brown. Do you know Adrian Marie Brown? No, I don't. Okay, so Adrian Marie Brown is an activist. Um, her work is amazing. Um, and she wrote this book called emergent strategy, shaping change, changing worlds. And it's all about like, you know, how important community is and redefining different, um, experiences of how we should be activists in the world. And so this is a, this is a series, the emergent strategy series that grew out of her book. So she's kind of found these other activists and is kind of using their work and like giving them a platform. And so, um, Alexis Pauline Gums was on, I, I can't, I don't know exactly what her role was in doing this, but she was going, uh, she was spending a lot of time with marine mammals and like, um, so these were initially like a bunch of like Instagram posts that would have like a picture and then just like really beautiful reflective connection and metaphor that was growing out of it. And I'm reading this with the book club, so I have not finished it yet. Um, and it, they're separated into kind of these fragments of different lessons that we can take but she even says like don't read this we're actually not probably not reading it the way we should right like we're just reading it chapter by chapter but she's like you know just go to what, what's speaking to you that day like there's like the chapters are like listen breathe remember practice collaborate and I think they would be a really really good like morning meditation like if you if you had it Ooh. by your bed and you woke up and you were like what am I feeling like I need to hear today and you just kind of like randomly flip to one in that section and read it like it's like it's re they're really dense meaningful beautiful reflections so first of all for my research thing I'm just recommending this book I think everybody should read it it is very very beautiful it's very moving um and so in it she really connects these lots of animal facts. So if you're a fan of agreement, you're going to get lots, lots of animal oh, facts yeah. um, to this, these reflections on marine mammals to kind of what she thinks human life should be the, the spirit of human nature. But early in the book, she says, this is in the introduction. What I found was that the languages of deviance and denigration, for example, the term vagrant juveniles used to describe hooded seals, awkward binary assignments of biological sex, and a strange criminalization of mammals that escaped the gaze of biologists showed up in what would call itself neutral scientific language of marine guidebooks. So she's saying that like when she tried to study marine mammals from the like the way you're supposed to study them, she found all this like history of colonization and just like wrapped up in the language itself, right? And that that's in the introduction. And then later she has this section that is talking about um, there was a dolphin hybrid that was in Sea Life Park that had a baby and it was a big deal, but the baby only lived to be like four years old, which is not, I mean, dolphins are supposed to live to be like 30 years old. So yeah, really, really young. And her mother also died. So she says, uh, the Sea Life Park website says you can swim with dolphin hybrids and eat a meal with your family at an authentic nightly luau today if you want. They don't say anything about a once famous hybrid who lived to be only four. They don't say anything about her mother who died four years after capture. Nothing on their website either about the dozens of spinner dolphins, bottlenoses, sea lions, seals who have died in their care over their 40 year existence. Some scientists, those who depend on dolphin and whale captivity for their research, 
protest the use of what they call biased terms like emotional, majestic, children, solitary confinement in documents about marine mammals in captivity. Because you might think of these animals as people, you know, as parents, as prisoners, as relatives, as friends. And so um, I, there's a footnote for that. And I was like, what is, what is this talking about? So I went and looked that up. And so there is a Psychology Today article by Mark Beckoff, Dr. Mark Beckoff, who is writing in response to people being upset to an interview that he did. So he did an interview titled The Harmful Effects of Captivity on Orcas with six authors of a research study. So, you know, he's, you know, like Psychology Today often will like go and sort of translate an academic right. study into like, you know, layman's terms, right? So that yeah. he was serving that purpose. There was a um, a research study about, with six authors, about how captivity on orcas has harmful effects, right? And so there was a comment submitted by 17 co-authors who, importantly, do not list their own affiliations, claiming that the peer-reviewed study on which the interview was concerned is not as comprehensive or as well-documented as the editors and reviewers for the journal judged it to be. So they're taking issue with the article that he was doing the interview about, right? And so in particular, they were very upset about the language used in this publication. I thought it rather odd that the people writing the critique offered sweeping claims about the lack of rigor and use of certain language in the published paper without any documentation. I surely would have entertained the possibility of publishing a well-referenced guest essay had they approached me, but instead they took to so they took Psychology Today to task for publishing the interview and Dr. Marino and her co-authors for some of their claims. They wrote, quote, in some, we are concerned about the inclusion of biases and lack of accurately represented information in the Psychology Today news story, the interview with Dr. Marino and her colleagues, and that Psychology Today covered an article that was also biased and presented slanted information. And so they what they've said here is that the language that was used to describe these animals is biased language. Um, with regards to the use of biased language, this Psychology Today article, this is the complainers, right? The people who um, are co-author, the, the 16 co-authors. 17, yeah. Yeah, seven, yeah. With regards to the use of biased language, this Psychology Today article used words that elicited human-like perceptions when referring to orcas, such as majestic, and emotional. This biased language was also used extensively in the publication on orcas referred to in this article. Specifically, the original publication used words and phrases including children when referring to orca offspring, solitary confinement, and express their identity. Unfortunately, biased language promotes unrealistic perceptions. Um, and so then the author here says that the interviewer who is taking issue with these claims that I frankly have no idea why words such as majestic, emotional, and children constitute biased language. In their rebuttal, the authors write, we are not arguing for the absence of emotions or higher cognitive functions, but that these conclusions should not be made without evidence. In fact, there is evidence, even in research sponsored by SeaWorld. In fact, like lots of SeaWorld's like marketing techniques talk about the emotional and the majestic worlds of these animals. So, yeah. um, and so basically he's suggesting that the people who, that these people need to disclose their own interest in maintaining certain perspectives on captivity of orcas. Um, 
The phrase express their identity also wasn't used extensively. In fact, it was only used once on page seven of the research paper to refer to how orca culture allows individuals to express their unique personalities. They are indeed expressing who they are as unique sentient and feeling individuals. In fact, one of the co-authors on a research paper called Personality and Captive Killer Whales, a rating approach based on the five-factor model, worked for SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment, and another worked for the Laurel Park Zoo in Tenerife, Spain, that operated its ORCA program in partnership with SeaWorld. In this essay, we read, quote, the results were compared with the results obtained for humans and chimpanzees in prior studies. The similarities could be explained as a result of convergent adaptive traits, despite a deep evolutionary divergence. So basically, like, what if there's not evidence of these orcas having personalities and there's not evidence of humans having them either so it's not biased language unless you're just saying that personality itself is a is a biased term or identity is a biased term um so yeah I'm just I am fascinated by this idea that the word children would be a biased term or that the word emotional would be a biased term um and this, these ideas about like what words we use to describe, because I agree with the authors of the, the comment that what words we choose matter. Right. I but they're kind of proven their point. That point. We, yeah. <laughs> like that's actually the original author's point. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I just read tonight, because I'm reading this for the book club back in the Undrowned book. She's talking about a specific whale, the giant beaked whale that scientists refer to as shy. And so she's really interested in the way that they're doing that because, yeah. um, so scientists say that like they, they've never been seen alive that, um, and then at one point there's a BBC interview and the guy said, if they do die, they are far away from shore. She's like, does that mean he thinks they might not die? Like, or they, does he think they're immortal? They do die. <laughs> But um, yeah. and then she says, yeah. I wonder sometimes about the manufacture of novelty, especially since in the same article, the local Japanese people who live near where there three of these mystery whales were stranded say, of course, they know what they are. They have a whole term for them. They have a whole language for them. So it's only that like, well, my team hasn't seen them, so they must right. be shy. And so she's and she's talking about how biased it is to, to suggest that like shy means that they're like hiding from you when maybe it just means you're not very observant. Right, you're not good at your job, maybe. You're not patient enough. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that. Yeah, I, I think that it was just really fascinating to me that you'd be like, you can't call them majestic. Like, of course, of course I can call them majestic. Like, I know that's like, and children, they don't have children. Right. That's not a child. Stop. And then he goes on to like quote several SeaWorld specific examples where they use the term majestic. Like you. Yeah. So you can't use it as majestic to draw a crowd, but then say it's not okay to use it when you're saying, hey, actually those majestic animals are being mistreated to draw that crowd. Sorry, I'm just, yeah, my mind is just. So that's, that's my it's research. Very here. frustrating. This use of, and I'll, I'll put the whole psychology today article that you can read in, I'll send it the article for the show notes. And I definitely recommend undrowned by Alexis Pauline gums. It is a fantastic book. Read it. I think that's what I'm going to actually have to bite the bullet and buy. Cause I love I, no, that idea of having it like 
on my nightstand and waking up and choosing. I have spent a lot of time, like you can see my little flags on it and I have lots of underlines in it. Like it is one that is deceptively short, but it's, it takes a while to read because you really have to like stop and think. And like, it really like grabs you and moves you. Um, and your whole research was like a footnote from it that you could just go into. That's amazing. And I think that, um, if you, if you just get it from the library, I think you're going to regret it. Like you'll, you'll want to have had it where you could take notes in it and like return to it and have like favorite passages. I think it's a, it's a on the bedside table kind of book. An owning book. Got it. I'm going to own it. Okay. My research, like I said, was going to be a weird thing, but then I got very obsessed with it. I think it fits so well into everything we've been talking about. I really feel like they're going to think like, oh yeah, it was their last one before oh, the break. We well, did not. We did watch not. us have the pressure we had last time of like, oh, it's too good. And now we can't think of anything to live up to it. <laughs> so um, I don't even remember. I wish I could remember how this came across my path. I don't know. But my research thing is the East Wind community. What is the East Wind community? The East Wind community is an income sharing egalitarian community in the rural Ozarks. So in the Ozarks of Missouri. So this was especially of interest for me being from Missouri. You're from Missouri, live in Missouri. The Ozarks are a very interesting place. They are gorgeous. They have like gorgeous, 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 gorgeous um, lakes mountains, rock things. It is beautiful. It is also the part of Missouri that when my husband first drove through it went, I'm scared. I don't want to stop in a gas station here. Um, Also, apparently there's a Netflix show called Ozarks about the Ozarks of Missouri that I have not watched, but I have heard is very good. So this is in the right smack dab in the middle of the rural Ozarks is a secular commune. And um, it's an income sharing community that was founded in 1974. Yeah. So it's almost that's a ways 50 years old, which I, for various reasons now more than ever, ever, am very interested in like collaborative communal living. But it is something that has a history of never working out, especially long term. So the fact that this one is 50 years old and still going strong. They have a wonderful, very well-designed website, more well-designed than a lot of websites I interact with on a daily basis. They have a blog, they have a YouTube channel. Um, it's a, it, from what it appears, it's a thriving community. So I today just want to tell you all about the Eastwind community. It's definitely in the vein of communist, but not Marxist, right? These are communists and they would all call themselves communists who don't necessarily buy into Marxism. So basically at any given time, they have about 73 members. And to live in this commune, you have to be a member. And they have all their bylaws, regulations online for you to read. I read through all of them. So if you have any questions on how they govern themselves, I am an expert now. But basically anyone um, that wants to become a member, you have to go for a three-week trial. You have to be approved. You have to, and then there's a wait list and they're very um, into like gender equity 
And so the wait list functions that they always try to have the same number of men as women. And they do have a lot of language in their bylaws about non-binary people, people who are transgender. So they account for that too, which I appreciate, but by and large, they want equal gender. And so if it's lopsided, whoever needs to make that up will be moved to the top of the wait list. You go for three weeks and try it out. If you want to keep staying, you stay for six months, then they evaluate you. Then in a year, you can become a full member, but everyone in the community has to vote. And it's very democratic. We're literally every member gets one vote and everyone votes on everything. And that's how that works. So um, basically, if you become a member of this commune, they provide housing, food, a monthly stipend. They give you $150 a month for things that like cigarettes or alcohol or something that you're not getting there and medical benefits. They, they do full coverage medical for you there. And as of spring 2017, half of their membership is under the age of 30, which also surprised me. I was looking at photos that they have online and I kind of think of this, I think there's going to be like a lot of old kind of hippy dippy people, but it was a very young, very normal looking community, which surprised me. So Everyone who's a member has to work, has to provide 35 labor hours a week. And they very much believe in an hour of labor is an hour of labor, no matter what the labor you are doing. So childcare, cooking, that is no more or less than working in their factory, than helping to construct buildings, than taking care of the farm or the ranch, things like that. Um, And so I said, working in the factory, yes, that was very interesting to me. The primary way that this commune is able to make a living, they're very self-sufficient, right? They have, they raise their own animals and livestock. They have massive gardens, but they have a full factory, like a big production factory for nut butter. And they make nut butter in their factory And that is, it's a multi-million dollar business and that brings in their money and that's what pays for most of it. And then just the upkeep of the commune and having a good living is those 35 labor hours a week. And you can change what you want to do. It's all self-governed. You keep track of your labor hours. You can um, build them up. You could do, you know, all of, you could work 24 hours in a day and that's almost your whole week. You could say, hey, I want to go on vacation. So you work a lot of extra hours and then have time off. They can transfer over, et cetera. So yeah, the nut butter is their main source of income. I was I was just really impressed with how, if I think commune in the Ozarks, I it doesn't paint a pretty picture in my mind immediately. But this place was really cool. They have a music studio. You can, I was thinking about what if I just want to run away from my whole life and try to join this commune. And it's like, yeah, they have a podcasting studio. I, I could still do Angry Mint from the commune, from the if, commune. I, if I so choose. Um, they have an entertainment center. They have like a movie theater. They have a library. Every year they have a huge music festival that brings in people, not just from the commune, but the community and all over the Midwest. They have a gym. 
They have a wood shop, metal shop. They have a pottery making shop and many kilns on and on and on and on and on. Um, they do have gender segregated housing because they don't believe in nuclear families. That's a big principle of communes and um, children are raised by the community. So there's men's dorms, women's dorms, children's dorms. If you want to live as a family, as a nuclear family, you have to get approval to build your own structure on the property. And then if you get approval for it, if you build it yourself, they allow you to live in that structure you build and you can do that. And that's fine. They don't say, no, you can't do it. Um, one of the only things that was a downside, but they're very environmentally friendly and very aware of it. They don't have, they have showers and they have hot water, but their toilets are not water-based. They're buckets that they fill with nutshells that come from the factory. So the byproduct, yeah, the byproduct of the factory, they basically put those in the buckets. And so while I say you decide how you spend your 35 labor hours, there are certain jobs that no one wants to do that they do have a system for. And it basically works out that you're doing um, two hours every other week of those non-desirable jobs, which include cleaning out all the peanut shell toilets. Um, it's mostly cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning various facilities that everyone has to do. They don't, they just assign that. And like I said, it was founded in 1974 after a group of people from a com commune in Virginia named Twin Oaks, which was founded in 1967, they didn't like the rules of that commune. They moved to Vermont. Then they moved to Massachusetts. And then they settled in Missouri because there was so much just wide open land. And it's about 1,200 acres that they have. And a lot of that is just untapped forests. And so they have a lot of forestry equipment. They believe in being very good stewards of the environment around them. So they... Um, they teach everyone who's there that these forestry skills so they can go in, they do things like controlled burning for the land, all that kind of stuff. And um, other than that, like I said, they have factories, dairy farms, a ranch, acres and acres of forest. And they have a blog post that I found really, really fascinating. They're very open about everything, which is um, they broke down like, how do we run? What are our financials? What do we make and produce in a year? And how do we pay for everything? And I'll link that actual post, but like the rundown basically. And then they did the total cost of living. So factoring in, what does this cost for living per year? And that they counted food, housing, that they give everyone a stipend. They give them cash of $150 a month just to do what they want with. They have Medical care, which includes vision, dental, all of it. They said, what per capita, what does each person live on per year? And so it's $6,396 What is what it costs each member per year to live on. And the national poverty line is $12,000. Wow. I'm just, it's, it's impressive. I'm very impressed. And the, the, I'm most impressed. It's been going on for 50 years. For 50 yeah. years. That this is like actually working. And that impresses me that they have found a way 
to make this work for them in the Ozarks. I did learn, if you're more interested in communes in a bigger sense, that they are a member of the FEC, which is the Federation of Egalitarian Communities. There's an official governing body over communes that you join. Um, they have, they all have board members. Each commune has five board members. They meet several times a year to talk about this. They're all over. If you want to know where are the members of the FEC communes, there's one in Virginia. There's Acorn Community in Virginia, East Wind in Missouri, Sapling Community in Virginia, the Midden in Ohio, Sand Hill Community in Missouri, and Twin Oaks in Virginia. So for some reason, Missouri and Virginia are where most of the successful communes in America are in this moment of time. And so the FEC basically governs by seven key, seven prime beliefs and values, which are it holds its land, labor, income, and other resources in common. Everyone owns everything equally. It assumes responsibility for the needs of its members, receiving the products of their labor and distributing those out. Three, practices nonviolence. Four, uses a form of decision-making in which members have an equal opportunity to participate, either through consensus, direct vote, or right of appeal. Five, actively works to establish the equality of all people and does not permit discrimination on the basis of race, class, creed, ethnic origin, age, sex, sexual orientation, or gender identity. Six, acts to conserve natural resources for present and future generations. And seven, creates processes for group communication and participation and provides an environment which supports people development, which includes, I should say, at Eastwind, you can get labor hour credit for going out into the larger community of the Ozarks and the towns they're around and volunteering. So a lot of people go to Greenville, which is a city close to them and work at the food bank. Or if you go donate blood, those count as part of your labor hours. So it's not this self-contained thing. They believe in like reaching out to the broader community. This is not an ad for East Wind by any means, but I'm just so impressed that it's been around for 50 years. And I'm just, um, it tells you something about my headspace where I'm like, huh, I really want to know all about this, <laughs> right? This is the epitome, right? This fits so well. This um, really feels like no goals, just fine. Did your, did your research turn up? Like, how do they handle like school? Like, are they homeschooling? Yes. And that, um, that is a choice that they leave up to you. They are within range of um, enrollment within Greenville, Missouri. You can enroll your children there if you want or you can homeschool. And they do have several teachers that do that. And that counts as their labor hours. So, and then, um, I wonder like, what is their relationship with like legal jurisdiction, like, you know, policing jurisdictions. And did you come across any of that? From what I can tell, they, their bylaws really include like membership. How do we kick someone out if we decide they're a problem? But Beyond that, they're not the what I, I can't speak for because they didn't say directly to like who has jurisdiction, but they are in no way. And they do say, like, if this happens, we'll reach out to authorities. They are not like an isolationist kind of you have no authority over us right, government. Right. They're not really anti-government. They are anti-government, but they're not anti-government. This isn't like a Ruby Ridge kind of situation where they're holding up. Um, they would allow, they allow, right, 
the police to intervene and come in and they're not going to have a standoff with them but they avoid that as much as they can i would say but in terms of homeschooling and stuff right that they still do the checks and fill out the paperwork to make sure that everyone's getting they're very open and it's not like if you decide not to be a member anymore you can always um come back and stay for a while they have special rules for because it's kind of hard to come and be a visitor you have to fill a, a lot out but and they have rules for if you were a member and then you leave you're kind of a different kind of honorary member but any honorary member who has children or grandchildren there or children and grandchildren of members just automatically get to come and go as they please. So they're not keeping people away from their family. And yeah, I wonder, and this is not a critique as so much as just a curiosity, like, cause you talk about the non-nuclear family structure, but it sounds like there's also like parents making decisions about like children's education. Like, I wonder how they handle those tensions. I know. Right. And it is, from what I can tell, most things, they have monthly meetings that are basically like board meetings, council meetings, and everyone, every person is one vote. And it's usually just Democratic vote. So I don't know. You know, you, you want to think that works. Maybe it doesn't. I It works for them. And it has for 50, 50 years. years. Yeah. What I've noticed from the YouTube channel that I went down a rabbit hole of is it really does seem to be the trend seems to be that there are probably a dozen to two dozen people who are living their whole lives there. They're going to be there forever. But then I would say a lot of the other members who are very young come in in their early 20s and then will stay there probably five years. A lot of them meet there and get married there. They meet their spouses on the commune. They get married on the commune. And then they, I would say 90% of the people I've followed, because I'm obsessed with this, like move to Brooklyn and start like boutique cheese shops or boutique kombucha shops or boutique woodworking. Like the skills, the very real labor skills that they had to perform day in, day out, butchering, right? They have to learn how to butcher really well. They then go off, they get married, they go kind of back to the city and use those skills to make a living. It's it's like a little like, I know that this, I know that this term is so loaded right now, but, um, in rhetoric, the idea of a safe space is like where you go to strengthen your argument before you go back into the fray. So it's almost like a, like a full existence safe space. Like, let me go here and strengthen who I am and my understanding of what I need to do. And then I can go back out into, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a place that can be just vibes, but you get, but you have health insurance while you're doing it. And you're learning my, my interest in this would be like the labor skills you could learn. Like the, you learn how to butcher things. You learn how to make all these things. Nut butters. Yeah. Make nut butter building. I just feel like, yeah, it's a, I think that's really, really apt. Cause I feel like that is primarily what this is used for and what keeps it like moving and vital and fresh is this influx of people who keep doing that. It's not stagnant. The community doesn't stagnate. And then everybody turns, you know, 85, 90 dies and there's no community anymore. Yep. So East Wind in the Ozarks. I'm obsessed with it right now. Yeah. All right. Well, are we ready to? Let's do it. Recap.
Let's recap. Start with your weird thing. My weird thing was the Savannah Bananas, which have been called the Harlem Globetrotters of the minor league baseball world. And the fact that they're playing with teams who are not the Harlem Globetrotters of the minor league baseball world. Makes me so happy. (laughs) Okay. My weird thing was the Bruce effect and invasive placentas and how a lot of animals can um, have the right to choose their abortions. A lot of animals. A lot of a animals. Lot. Not, not all mammals. Not, not all, all mammals. Animals. A lot. Um, my, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> my pop culture thing uh, was the trio of vibe articles. Vibes. Vibes, vibes, vibes. Stumbled upon. My pop culture was a endorsement for Queer Eye Germany talk about tv trauma my research thing was an endorsement of undrowned by alexis pauline gums and uh, specifically the discussion of how we use language in biased ways no children for dolphins no children no or orca whales and uh my research thing was you know i took you inside my rabbit hole deep dive that i did last saturday on the east wind commune in the ozarks in missouri so the savannah bananas definitely believe in vibes right like it's very vibey if like we need to practice our jack sparrow (laughs) it's more about the vibes than the game i feel like we have a good dichotomy here of like vibes versus i don't know what vibes are Playing the game seems to be in opposition to vibing. Okay. Maybe. 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 I think it's placentas that are throwing me off. Um, the placentas oh, are, I mean, are, are vibing. Placentas and the, and the language, my, my biased language. Those, yeah, definitely. I feel like those are the two, like the rest of these, we could just be like, vibes man it would just be done um yeah but i think those institutions two... have institutions have failed us vibe, 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 vibe. that's it yeah okay but the language um the language in the well don't well you're the language is easy to me which is how do we how do we vibes don't have language man vibes are feel. without language they're one of those they're effective right they're feeling an emotion without language okay but your thing is all about how Language is used to uphold these institutions. Language is very unvibey. That exact same language, not even the same tool, but literally the exact same words are used in a way that challenged that institution. Then it was suddenly biased language, even though they had used. Exactly. Which fits with you can play the game and then it won't be played back. You can do everything right and it will not be reciprocated. So even though you're using their language, Nope, not okay in this instance. We change the rules. Yep. There'll be plenty um, of adjunct jobs. Sorry. <laughs> I want to burn things down for you. Okay. Um, so so that just leaves placentas. That just leaves placentas. Um I mean, I think there's something to be like 
it's kind of about whether they're feeling the vibes or not. No, I think that's very fair. I think like non, non non-invasive placentas are vibing. They just pick up the vibe and know what to Friendly organs. Organs? But our human placentas aren't vibing. Human placentas are all work. No vibes. They've been, they've been caught in the machine. Yep. And that's why we have preeclampsia. And plan B. Yep. So, yeah. So I think everything fits, fits into this like vibe, no vibe. Yeah. So what do we want? If it's really well, good job. And what a good way. I just love that whole like bye 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 to be one to be our last episode for a while. Like you unroll bye bye bye. No, but 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 okay. So how can we embody vibes if vibes like are non linguistic? It's not a s'more. It's not a s'more. I feel pretty feel pretty confident. It's not a s'more. I feel like I'm no no offense to the uh, minor league baseball team in Colorado, but I just you didn't quite hit it for me. No. And it can't just be no, no rules, just vibes or no goals, just vibes. It can't be that like, that's too. It's been done. Yeah. Well, multiple times, multiple, multiple. So we got to get our own thing. Um, if you don't play the game, the game can't play you. I, I, okay. I like that. I like that. Do you feel like we need the word vibe in there somewhere though? I, I think that's a very good fortune cookie. But I need this fortune cookie to be about vibes. Yeah. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to type that in. If you don't play the game, the game can't play you. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Can we replace any of those words with vibe? If you do vibe the vibe, the vibe can vibe you. (laughs) (laughs) I said any, not all. That not even literally, just too far. <laughs> you vibe the vibe, the vibe, the vibe, the Just a vibraphone over here. <laughs> um, oh. no, because like I, it can't be like if you don't play the vibe game, the vibe game can't play because it's because the vibes aren't playing you, right? Like exact vibes never play you. No. Vibes are there to support and uphold and not even that. They're just vibing. Vibes are without. Can we put a colon in it? Can we make this an academic title? Just vibing, colon. If you don't play the game, the game can't play you. I mean, why not? This is our last one in a while. I think a lot of what we've been, the game that has played us is academia. So let's do it. Ooh, academia. Before the podcast started, I was telling Catherine that I've been listening to um, the podcast Sounds Like a Cult, and it's just these um, women tackle like different topics to describe whether or not they meet the definition of a cult. And there's like one on essential oils and one on minimalism and one on MLMs. And there's one on academia that I can't bring myself to listen to because I just like it's just too close, just cuts too deep. Maybe I'll get there. And I definitely think that does mean it is a call. If you can't even bring yeah, yourself to yeah. listen if to I, it. If you've been ousted, of... if you're on the outs from it and you can't even listen to people describe it. Yeah, it's, it's cool. That's a big telltale. Yeah. So, so just yeah. vibe in, colon. If you don't play the game, the game can't play you. A fortune cookie by Michelle and Catherine. I, yeah. 
great. I, I and it's good advice. Take that with you for the next few months until you hear from us. It and is something that is totally vibes. I think yeah, our project we are, we is We are vibing. taking our own advice. We didn't even, we hadn't even made this episode yet, but we were already, we were already on the vibe train. Choo-choo. All vibes, no work. Yeah. Although it, all it probably board. is actually going to be quite a bit of work. Oh, it's a lot of work. Everything we do. Th- this podcast only exists because we wanted to have a conversation and we're both so type A that if there is no productive outcome, we can't talk to each can't other. Talk to each other if there's nothing comes out of it. I saw we might be sitting here telling you no goals, just vibes. We do not live that life. We are nope. not those people. No. Nope. So yeah. yeah. So there you go. Vibe, vibe, vibe. Vibe, vibe, vibe. And we we will be back. And please- we will. Keep an eye out for, we're going to give some teasers as soon as we get our plan a little more solidified. We'll let you know what to expect. Um, It's going to be, I think it's going to be worth it. I think it's going to be worth the wait. Oh, I know it is. I think you are going to be pleased. Or or so confused that you want to stay tuned for it. Which, I mean, you know, that can end with pleased. Confusion can lead to pleasure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.